are listening to the Batflip Podcast, a baseball podcast from Belly Up Sports and the Belly Up Podcast Network. Here are your hosts, Damian and Matt. Welcome back, everyone, to the Batflip Podcast. My name is Damian here with my co-host, Matt. We are coming to you on September 7th of 2021. Actually going to be episode 51. I forgot to mention last week that it was our 50th episode, which is a little bit of a milestone. Um, can you believe we've been doing this for 51 episodes already, Matt? It's unbelievable. I remember, you know, starting the show like it was yesterday, and, and you know, last year before, right before the late season start. Uh, so we're uh, moving right along. Fifty episodes been a long time. So, yeah, I mean, I remember talking to Mike from Belly Up Sports, you know, about this for a couple years, even before we really started it, and then, uh, you know, last year finally, finally got enough to say, hey, if we put something out there, would you listen to it? And, we sent him that first little test episode we did and they have, you know, they loved it and they've let us have this runway ever since. So thank you to all the belly up sports guys for sure. Yeah, no doubt. Well, this episode is going to be a, a, a kind of a more interesting one. We're going to talk about um, the hall of fame induction. That's going to happen tomorrow. Um, talk about who's all in there. We do have a couple of, uh, you know, updates that we'll hint at before that. Um, and then we'll go through the games we highlighted last week, give you some more games to look forward to this week, um, and then we'll jump two players of the week, ten the show off like we normally do. Uh, but let's go ahead and start in the, basically both of these are in the NL East, um, and that's with the Atlanta Braves signing Charlie Morton to an extension, uh, one year, $20 million with the club option for next year, or for the year after. Yeah, so um, I think this is a really good move. Um you get Charlie Morton, who's been really good this year. Um, you know, he's had a really, I guess, a bounce back year. Although last year with a shortened season, his peripherals were really, really good. So he's honestly been a similar pitcher this year to what he's been. But, um, you know, his fastball velocity is at the highest it's been since he was in Houston. Um, you know, he's got a 347 ERA, but his peripherals are better than that. A 329 FIP, 325 XFIP. Uh, he hasn't walked a lot of guys, 2.91, but he's, his strikeout rate's really good, 10.5, um, and all the all the metrics and projection systems back it up. And you know, it will be his age 38 season, but this is a guy who, for one thing, doesn't have a ton of innings on his arm. Uh, you know, he's at 15.97 uh, for his career, so you know, a lot of his earlier seasons, he did deal with some injuries and stuff, and, and didn't pitch a ton. Uh, at, you know, so he, he's a guy who. Um, he's definitely, definitely got, got a, maybe some more left in his arm, but, um, you know, an all-star in 2018 to 2019, uh, one with Houston, one with Tampa Bay. And, uh, you know, this is a guy who has been, you know, a, a really, really, really consistently good pitcher ever since he got to Houston in 2017. Um, that was kind of the turning point of his career. And, you know, he's, he's put up some great numbers and, um, you know, the Braves get it back on a, on a one-year deal, you know, it's the, the of, of risk-wise, it'll be a one-year of risk. And then if he does really well next year, and you think you might have another, you know, late bloomer, you know, older veteran pitcher who's still throwing really well on your hands, uh, you know, the Braves can bring him back with really, at, at, you know, the same price, but w- without any risk, there's no buyout on that uh, club option. So it's really a, a one-year deal for Morton but the Braves can say, hey, we want to re-up that deal. And, of course, Morton can also retire, uh, which he had hinted at after last year. But uh, he seems pretty happy in, in, in Atlanta. 
Um, and I think he he's he's been he's been really good this year. So uh, one of the better offseason signings that hadn't gotten a ton of attention to that uh, Charlie Morton has been. But um, we'll uh, we'll see how it works out. Um, great arm. He's still throwing, you know, averaging over 95 mile per hour in his fastball, and that's not his best pitch. And at age 38 next year, uh, if he can repeat that, you know, that'll be some pretty good stuff. So uh, he's uh, definitely been definitely been as advertised this year and uh, and then some, really. So we'll see what he does going forward. But uh, it's a pretty good move for Atlanta, and, and they wrap up a, you know, a, a veteran piece of their rotation for next year. Yeah, he's going to always be solid for, you know, a pretty solid pitcher. And it allows them a little bit more of insurance with the uncertainty around Mike Soroka um, for next year. Or not around him, but what you're going to get from him next year, having basically not pitched in two years. Um, So it's going to be great for that. But one thing I found interesting is that he keeps getting, basically as he gets older, he keeps getting paid more money. So he started with an average salary of $7 million in like 2014 through 16. Got that in 2017, 2018. And then when he signed with the Rays, went for $15 million. Then signed with the Braves for $15 million. And now he's signing for $20 million for the next two years. Like, yeah, it's pretty he, it's pretty impressive. And, um, you know, I think he's a guy who probably just, you know, it's just hit at weird times. I mean, he, he started getting really good as a veteran. In fact, up until 2015, his career best season in strikeouts per nine was 7.2, which is pretty pedestrian, definitely below average. Um, and he's always he always ran a really high ground ball rate, but definitely below average. And then he in 2017, his first year in Houston, he was at 10. So he jumped this strikeout rate. He's never dropped below 10 other than in the short season last year when he was at 9.95 strikeouts per nine. So this is a guy who was always just a contact pitch centric pitcher, got a lot of grounders, but was never a great, you know, guy a guy to get strikeouts and really be dominant. And then all of a sudden he went to Houston and started throwing, started striking guys out. And it's funny because that's such a rare thing for a veteran pitcher. Like you're talking about his age, age 33 was this breakout year really. So it makes sense that you know for the first couple of years he was already signed on a contract that was pretty, you know, team friendly because he was not very good before that. And then, you know, teams are worried about his age as he gets getting there. But I mean, he just keeps getting better and better and better. I mean, uh, you know, he's not as good as he was in 2019 this year, but you know, he's on pace to put up his, he's already put up his second best season. If you look at wins above replacement this year in his career. So pretty impressive stuff. And he absolutely deserves a $20 million deal next year. So um, it's, it is kind of weird, though, that it's worked out that way. I'm trying to see if I could find out if he, like, changed his pitch usage in those years. I think he started throwing more four-seamers to go with his curveball. Did he? Yeah, that, that was kind of an Astros calling card back in 2017, 2018. You that's what, what they did with Verlander. Um, that, and that's what they did with Charlie Morton as well. You know, they kind of copied what McCullers had done there. and they, they, That was kind of their thing. And... Uh, that's what he's done, you know, this year. He's still got a really good two-seamer as well. But I think he started throwing more up-in-the-zone fastballs to, to pair with his curveball. And that two pl- those pitches really tunneled each other really well. So, Yeah, it seems like he went to – he took out the cutter some. Yes, he, he did. And this year, really, he started – he was throwing the cutter some at the start of the year. And, um, you know, he kind of quit 
throwing it, and that's when his season really started to take off. He had been okay for his first few weeks, but after he kind of stopped throwing the cutter as much, his season got so much. I mean, he started dominating in a lot of starts. So Yeah, he, uh, he kind of turned more to just a four-seam sinker curveball. Yeah, um, which, right then, which is yeah, which he's done. He's done well with it, so I'm yeah. not going to argue with him. <laughs> no, not at all. It's just interesting to see that, you know, kind of how it took off at that point. Yeah, no doubt. But uh, one more little piece of news that we had come out today um, was that the acting president of the Mets right now, which is Sandy Alderson, said that Jacob deGrom had a partial tear of his UCL, um, and that's kind of why he had been – you know, on the injury, often on the injury list this year, um, it's pretty much been shut down for the year now, but that, uh, that the ligament is all intact now. And it's, you know, as strong as it's ever been, which is kind of weird because I mean, if you have a partial tear of the UCL, you don't think that ever goes away. Yeah. That's something that worries me because the Mets have definitely not been known as a team to handle pitching injuries very well in, in recent years. Um, you know, you look at, you know, Noah Syndergaard, you know, he's going on year two of not pitching um, after his injury. You look at Matt Harvey, who had his issues that really kind of derailed his career with the um, thoracic outlet syndrome, along with a Tommy John surgery. So, you know, the Mets are a, are a team that Zach Wheeler dealt with the injuries too, and the Mets let him go, and now he's really good. So... You, you look at DeGrom as a guy who you hope he doesn't fall into the pattern of really good Mets pitchers turning into injured Mets pitchers. And, um, you know, I, I just hope that the Mets do the wise thing. And, you know, whatever it is with DeGrom, um, that whatever it is with DeGrom that's been an issue, um, you know, I, I just hope they deal with it the correct way and, and don't, don't do too much. Don't tr- don't try to bring him back if he's not ready. Uh, make sure, make sure that he is, you know, that he's a hundred percent before you bring him back. And whether that's this year, I mean, the doctors know more than I do, but definitely, you know, Jacob Degrom does not need to push it because we don't want to see a guy with his talent level have a long term injury at this stage of his career. He's thirty three years old, so you know, you definitely don't want to see him aggravate that UCL, make it, you know, tear it fully, make it worse where he needs Tommy John and then, you know, be taken away from his 20, you know, his 2022 season. And then you don't see him again till age 35 coming off Tommy John surgery. That's, that's what the worst thing you could possibly see is for that to happen. So hopefully they, they are able to manage it well enough to, um, you know, to, to bring him back at the right time without injury and, um, you know, so he can have a full, healthy 2022 season. Because this is a guy who's been really durable in his career. I mean, since 2017, he's thrown over 200 innings every year, except for the short season last year, in which he was one of the leading uh, pitchers in innings pitch last year. So he's a very durable pitcher. He doesn't have missed a ton of games in his career. It's just, um, you know, you don't want to see him turn into that at this stage. So we'll see what happens. Hopefully he comes back as healthy as ever because he's a really fun pitcher to watch. He's so good. And, um, you know, hopefully hopefully they handle it the right way. Yeah, and we have seen pitchers pitch through, you know, partial tears in their UCL. I mean, Mar- Masahiro Tanaka is still pitching with, with that pretty much. You know, he had that ever since he came over pretty much. Um, it, it just worries you with a guy like DeGrom because Tanaka does not have DeGrom stuff. 
like he doesn't throw 102 with like a 90 mile an hour slider, which that puts so much strain on your elbow. Um, you know, slider is one of the hardest pitches anyways. And when you're throwing it that dang hard, you know, it's, it just the, I couldn't even imagine the stress that it actually puts on an elbow. So it's going to be like, like you said, the Mets are not one that is really good with injuries in the first part. Um, so hopefully yeah. they don't mess this one up on Jacob DeGrom because he's, you know, one of the, the funnest pitchers to watch one of the best pitchers and not just the majors right now, but possibly ever. Yeah. And at, in, at, at peak level, yeah, I think yeah. he's definitely been one of the top pitchers of all time. Absolutely. Now Same. his longevity is not there because he didn't get to the big leagues till age, uh, age 26. And yeah. you know, his first few years were really solid, but they weren't like elite level years. So while other pitchers were at age 26, putting up his 28, 18 numbers, uh, you know, he was, you know, just now getting into the big leagues. But like you say, I mean, Tanaka pitched through it. There's been other guys that pitched through it. Um, but, you know, you've also got guys like, like, you know, you could just be delaying the inevitable too. I mean, you got Shohei Otani tried to pitch through it. And it cost him an extra year probably trying to pitch through it. So, um, you know, you look at Tyler Glass now, and he ended up having to wait a lot of extra time for his Tommy John surgery, trying to come back. And now he's going to miss all of next year instead of most of next year. So it's just one of those things that, you know, you gotta, you know, you gotta make sure you handle it the right way. And if, I mean, if, if Tommy John surgery is going to end up having to happen, then go ahead and do it. I mean, don't waste any more time, but if it's not, if you feel pretty confident in it, I mean, you know, get, make sure you've got enough rest and, and make sure it's ramped up properly back up properly and then put him in there the worst thing you can possibly do is you know try to ramp him up really really fast to try to get him ready to get you to the playoffs this year like especially in a season that you know you're four games out or whatever and probably gonna be tough to make it you know so no they pretty much they pretty much committed to him already being shut down yeah so we'll see what happens i mean um you know hope like i say hopefully he Hopefully he's healthy, fully healthy when he pitches again. And hopefully that's next year. Hopefully he doesn't need Tommy John surgery. I, I'm, I'm hopeful on that. So the way things have been, the way things have sounded for sure. Yeah, absolutely. But this is also the Mets we're talking about. So they'll find some way to mess it up, unfortunately. Oh, yeah, no doubt. But uh, let's go ahead and move on um, to kind of what we're going to spend most of the bulk of the show really talking about. Um, and that's the Hall of Fame induction ceremony that's going to take place um, tomorrow as we're recording this, which would be uh, Wednesday, September 8th. Um, I believe it's going to start at 1.30 Eastern time. It might be 1.30 Pacific time. I'm not sure on that exactly. But we're, we do have four inductees this year, two by the writers and then two by the Veterans Committee. Um, and uh, sorry, I just completely lost my train of thought. Um, this is also... All of the 2020 class, so nobody was voted in in 2021. Um, so our first induction that we have um, is probably the most well-known player, and that's going to be Derek Jeter uh, is getting inducted in on his first time on the ballot. Yeah, so uh, Derek Jeter, uh, 
Here, here's the deal. I, I, I can't believe, you know, we're about to go down this road. Um, we know <laughs> when we talk about Jared, Derek Jeter, he's very polarizing in, you know, modern, in the modern day baseball community. We are about um, to get a lot of subscribers unsubscribing after this one. Yeah, or more people subscribing when they hear us once. So, but um, anyways, D- Derek Jeter, let me, let me say this about him. There's some people who act like he's the greatest player of all time or something, the best shortstop ever, you know, whatever. He's not. He's nowhere near that. He's, but people who act like he's also he, he's one of the most overrated players of our generation. But at the same time, he's really good. I don't mean saying he's overrated doesn't mean he wasn't very good. This is a guy who put up a three ten career average, three seventy seven career on base percentage. Um, he's a guy who put up a career one twenty WRC plus. He had a peak where he put up, you know, 156 WRC plus in, in 1999 to go along with a 7.4 wins above replacement, um, 73 wins above replacement for his career, 260 home runs had, uh, you know, had 3000 hits. This is a guy who was very, 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 very good. Um, people don't, I don't think people who, if you think that he's one of the best players ever, you're wrong. And if you think he wasn't hall of fame worthy, you're very wrong too. Um, he's somewhere in, he's somewhere in the middle there. He, he's he's definitely a Hall of Famer in my opinion. He, I would have voted for him on the ballot. Um, you know, played for t- 19 years, All Star. I don't even know how many times, tons of times. Um, he was a I have it right here, a 14 time All Star. Yeah, 14 time All Star. Um, I wholeheartedly disagree with the fact that he should have won a bunch of Gold Gloves. But there were a couple seasons that he maybe could have won a Gold Glove that was legit. Um, you know, I, I, a lot of the defensive metrics really don't don't favor Derek Jeter very much. Uh, in fact, for a shortstop, his entire career, he put up negative defensive value, according to Fangraphs, um, which is pretty poor for a shortstop. But, um, you know, he was an offensive first shortstop. I mean, he was just a very good player, good base runner, <coughs> um, 358 crews, <coughs> stolen bases, excuse me. Um you know, he, he just he was a very, very, very good player on a lot of very good Yankees teams. Uh, I think he won, what, four World Series titles. Um, you know, he's a guy who is just a great player. And, uh, you know, he's definitely Hall of Fame worthy. And it's good to see him get inducted. Although, you know, I think I would agree with a lot of people who say that he is pretty overrated when you talk about in the general baseball context. I believe there's a lot of people out there who are – kind of casual baseball fans or you know don't necessarily talk about you know advanced statistics and you know and who who value him as like a top 10 player of all time or something just because he was a top player for the yankees for a long time so i think that's i think that that's that's true but at the same time this guy's a surefire hall of famer if you say he's not then you're being ridiculous no absolutely um he gets more of the hype because he's the Yankee shortstop. Like he was the Yankee shortstop during, you know, the nineties and then the early two thousands when they were at the juggernaut pretty much. Like if this was a guy who had played, let's just say on the twins, like he'd probably still be a hall of famer, but he probably wouldn't have got on on the first ballot. Like he probably would have, it would have taken probably the third or the fourth ballot. Um, and the, you know, the defensive numbers would come into light a lot more than people you know, do now because he had the one catch where he dove into the stands and he had the jump throw, which has become that, or the flip play. He's had these highlight defensive plays that have made it kind of 
that people know throughout that are legendary, but they think that's how he was all the time. And it really wasn't that, um, you know, if, if we were to look, like you said, if people think he's a top 10 player of all time, I'll kind of morph it into the next player that we're going to talk about. And that's Larry Walker. Some Larry Walker has a higher batting average on base percentage OPS OPS plus than Derek Jeter. He doesn't have as many hits because he only played, you know, 17 years um, and that, but he also has a higher career war than Derek Jeter. So it just kind of leads to the fact that Jeter is still a hall of fame level talent, but he's not, you know, one of the top 10 players of all times. That's just talked about because he was, you know, the centerpiece of a Yankees team for so long. Yeah, and, and and to put it in perspective, I mean, Larry Walker's a guy who's getting in, inducted into the Hall of Fame. So, you know, you're comparing him to a Hall of Famer, but talk, let's talk about Andrew Jones. I mean, Andrew Jones put up six fewer wins above replacement and played five fewer seasons or four fewer seasons than than uh, than Derek Jeter. So, well, you know, it's one of those things where Andrew Jones is not a Hall of Famer and really not getting that much vote for the Hall of Fame. He's, he's getting enough to stay on the ballot, but um, – you know, he's a guy who probably should be a Hall of Famer, especially in, in my opinion. But, um, you know, that's just a kind of comparison to look at is the fact that, you know, Andrew Jones, 67 war in 16 seasons, whereas Jeter had 20 seasons and put up 73 war. So um, you want to talk about, you know, something that it's just, you know, you look at the fact that it's that he was on the Yankees and, you know, was hyped for being on the Yankees and making a few highlight plays and, Right. in the postseason i mean well, that, that's kind of the thing but and my thing with larry walker is what i was kind of doing that is because they got both voted in on the same time but i think larry walker is in his last year of eligibility on the ballot yes larry walker's another guy who like i agree because he should have been in there a long time ago but yeah it's just saying that like jeter got in first ballot because of this where walker's had a a better career when you look at all the numbers but I mean, part of that is aided by he was in, the, in Coors Field. But, I mean, to me, I look at it, Coors Field is a, is a field in baseball you can't take away somebody for playing there. You, like, you can't say, oh, they don't deserve this because they played in Coors Field and that gave them, you know, little extra homers or they hit a higher batting average because they're like, okay, then you don't like it, then take the field out or whatever. Like, don't yeah, allow I- a team to be there. But my, my whole point is that, Larry Walker was in his like tenth season of eligibility, while Jeter was in his first, and Walker barely made it on. And Jeter's like almost unanimous. Yeah, and you got to remember, Larry Walker was also a very good player before he got to Coors in in Montreal, and then he was a good player when he left Coors. He was still good when he played St. Louis in 2005. Mm-hmm. His final year, he put up 2.2 WAR, um, you know, in his final in his final season, and a 135 WRC plus. So it wasn't all Coors. It was. I mean, Coors certainly helped him, but, you know, he's still a guy who probably would have been a Hall of Famer had he played somewhere else. So, absolutely, uh, you know, definitely, definitely guy. And leading into Larry Walker, a guy who hit 383 home runs, uh, had a career 313 average. Uh, and he's a guy who was a fantastic defensive outfielder, too, um, and, and not playing, not necessarily playing center field all the time. So, uh, he still put up positive value for his career in the outfield, and despite you know age 37, age 38 seasons having that big drop off there uh, in his defensive value. So you know Larry Walker, guy who you know for a long time was one of the best outfielders in baseball. Uh, you know we could talk about his absolutely ridiculous 1997 season where he hit 
366 with a 452 on base percentage, a 720 slugging percentage with 49 home runs, a 177 WRC plus, and put up a f positive defensive value in the outfield for 9.1 war, which was pretty incredible. And I don't think he won MVP, did he? That year? He did. I believe he did, actually. Uh, but, 90... I mean, you talk Eight? about that. Oh, no, 97? Yeah, 97. So, yeah, he, he did win. He did win MVP. Like, you look at, you know, you also look at uh, 2001, which I'm pretty sure Bonds won MVP because that was the year he hit 70 home runs, 72 home runs or whatever. Uh, you know, 7.6 for that year for Larry Walker, a 163 WRC plus. Um, this guy was <laughs> this guy was pretty insanely good and always ran a pretty low strikeout rate, walked a lot, uh, did all the did all, did everything as a hitter that you want that you want to have have him do i mean just, just everything 230 career stolen bases he wasn't just the power guy he was a speed guy too um you know I, just an all-around great player i think one of his be best accomplishments is winning five gold gloves in coors in that outfit oh yeah that's so like, that's such a hard place to play defense because it's so massive yeah so massive the ball flies i mean everything and he won five gold gloves there alone i mean he had already been a gold glove caliber defender winning two in montreal but to win five gold gloves, you know, and, and he did it in, I think, what, six seasons? Yeah, because the only, only year he didn't win it was in 2000. He went 97, 98, 99, 01, and 02. Um, so five gold gloves in six seasons in a, in a place like Coors is absolutely insane as well. No doubt. No doubt at all. Well, we'll move on to probably one of our less known, lesser known players. I mean, I hadn't heard much about him until the Veterans Committee had, had a you know, uh, voted him in and the veterans committee for people that don't know, it's, it's a, basically a second chance for some players. Um, but it's a much smaller group. So it's 16 voters. Um, and you must show up on 75% of the ballot, um, to get voted in. And these next two people, not players, cause one of them is not, um, have were voted in per that committee. Um, this player is Ted Simmons. He's mostly known as a catcher. Um, did play some other like first base, third base, but mostly known for his time in St. Louis. Spent 13 years in St. Louis of his 21-year career. Yeah, Ted Simmons was a good player. Um, uh, honestly, a player that I don't know all that much about. You know, he's a guy who was, you know, long before my time. But uh, you know, going back and looking at some of his numbers, he's borderline deserving for the Hall of Fame when it comes to your typical like your typical statistics. Um, Playing catcher definitely helps him because there's just not all that many catchers in the Hall of Fame. But he's a guy who, um, you know, put up a career 54 wins above replacement. Um, you know, an offensive catcher put up 116 uh, WRC plus as a catcher, which is really impressive. Um, you know, catcher especially in those days, not necessarily known as a position that you put up a, a you know really good stat lines at. So. Uh, you know, nowadays you, you do get some some more catchers um, put up pretty good numbers, but um, you know he's a guy who who put up um, you know put up those numbers in a day where you typically just don't get that many great catchers um, at, at the plate at least. Um, you know, number thirteen all time and wins above replacement for catcher, so he's you know top fifteen catcher all time according to that metric. Um, you know, he did play a lot more games than many of the guys above him. And some of the guys above him are like a Brian McCann or a Russell Martin 
uh, who probably aren't going to get into the Hall of Fame, you know, if at all. And, and you know, Buster Posey's also up there, who's who's an active player, but I feel pretty sure he will be in the Hall of Fame. Absolutely. So, um, you know, he, he's, he's definitely a guy who, you know, a, a spectacular player, um, long-term, great, you know, long-time good catcher. Um, oh, Yadier Molina is also slightly above him in the, you know, when it comes to, um, when it comes to uh, wins above replacement, fan graphs wins above replacement. So, but just just a really, really good, really good catcher, really good player. Um, and it's cool to see him. He's 72 years old, finally get the opportunity to, to be in the Hall of Fame. So that's that's a pretty cool, pretty cool thing to see. Um, you know, and he's a guy who definitely had some great accomplishments in the big leagues. And, um, you know, had a great career. Um, broke into the big leagues at age 18. Yeah. Um, it's pretty crazy. Yeah, it absolutely is. And like you said, this is a guy who, you know, started playing in 1968 and ended playing in 1988. So there's very little that we would, you know, ever even be able to find about him playing that day. So we just kind of have to go off the statistics. Um, but like you said, he's a borderline Hall of Famer. You got Yadier Molina's right there, which other people consider a borderline Hall of Famer, you know, in same terms of war. Um, and the offensive st- statistics are for that day, for in the 60s and 70s and into the 80s. I mean, that's that's pretty much what your offensive production, you know, I mean, that's a pretty solid player, a Hall of Fame level player at that point. Um, so, you know, it's good to see him finally get in. I mean, he, like you said, I think you had told me before the show, in his first year on the ballot, he got like three percent of the votes or something, yep, like, and 3. was off 7%. the ballot. Yep. Yeah, and was off the ballot after one season, um, so he never even really got a real consideration um, for the Hall of Fame, and that's kind of why you have this veterans committee that gives, you know, players like a Ted Simmons or Jack Morris, which we had seen before, gives them another chance to get in. Um, so it's it's really cool to see these, you know, these other players be able to have a second chance after they were kind of looked over for, you know, their solid careers. Yeah, and, and one other one other little thing to point out for uh, for Ted Simmons too is that it's an example a little bit too of a guy who maybe played too long. Um, you look at the fact that 1984 negative two wins above negative 2.4 wins above replacement. 1986 negative 0.5 wins above replacement. 1988 minus 0.5 wins above replacement. He he had you know he really was a very very solid catcher for he put up all of his war in like 15 years. And, and then he dropped off considerably and really kind of went backwards. So, uh, you know, it's just one, it's just an example of maybe, maybe just, you know, the fact that, I mean, from, from 1971 through, you know, 1990, 1980, you know, he put up his worst season was 3.8 war and he was typically in the upper fours or fives. So and more so very consistent performer until the very end of his career. So, uh, you know, I, I kind of do like the, the move to put him in and, you know, a, a catcher who was one of the top 15 catchers of all time. Uh, and a guy who was very, very solid player for a long time. Good hitter. I, I like it. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really nice to see. Well, let's go on to our next person, and this is more of a executive um, or just a person around baseball more than anything. His impact in the game is probably the you know felt more on today's game than anybody we've talked about so far, um, and that is Marvin Miller. Uh, he was a executive director of the Players Association. Uh, where did I 
he started in 1966. Um, and his big thing is that he's known for the CBAs, the collective bargaining agreements, which you're going to hear us talking a lot about in this upcoming offseason. So I think it's kind of nice to to hit on Marvin Miller, you know, at this point. Uh, so he started in 1966. The average player's salary at that point was $19,000 in 1966. When he finally stepped down from his role in 1982, the average player's salary was $326,000. Uh, he has he was one who always fought for player rights. He uh, engaged in two lockouts, one in 1973 and the other in 1976. Both of those were during spring training that resulted in negotiations for a CBA. Um, you know, he, one of them, and then he was also a part of the 1981 strike, which lasted 50 days and had a cancellation of 713 games, all because he felt the players weren't given the rights that they should be and that the owners were taking too much advantage of them. You know, in that one, th that cancellation that I was just talking about, 713 games, it cost owners $146 million. So, you know, he was, he definitely was like, hey, we're worth something and we know it now and we're not just going to let you keep taking advantage of us. Yeah, definitely interesting move here. Um, you know, he's a guy who is, is one of those, you know, I guess, you know, Hall of Famer who, you know, got in obviously for not for, you know, a playing career or anything, but um, definitely interesting stuff. Um, you know, I didn't know too, too much about him until we were kind of talking about it before the show, but he definitely had a fan, a major effect on the game um, and the game as we know it today. Uh, and, and like you say, going into next year, you know, his legacy is definitely going to be is definitely a factor is, you know, you talk about the collective bargaining agreements and you know we, that's going to be a hot topic here soon and you know from from this offseason and hopefully not into next season but uh, the possibility still stands that you could see it at the beginning of next season too be a pretty important thing in baseball so um you know um hopefully uh, hopefully that ends up not being the case but it, it's very very good news that um, you know, he's being recognized, in my opinion, as, as because his impact on the game is, is, you know, honestly, in a different way. But but his impact on the game is almost as much as any player's ever had. So um, definitely a big deal. Uh, and it shaped baseball being the highest, the most lucrative American sport there is, you know, through the deals that he made with Major League Baseball. And, you know, the, the agreements that they have made have been. You know, baseball's got a no salary cap. Players get paid more than in any other sport in the world, uh, other than soccer overseas. So, um, definitely a definitely a, a guy who should be recognized. Yeah, and um, you know, one thing that also I was just kind of reading more about as you know you were talking right here is that one thing that is key in baseball right now that we would never have if it wasn't for Marvin Miller is free agency. So he was the first person to really um, push players to file grievances against teams for, you know, not fulfilling contracts or whatever. And that basically ushered in free agency. So in like 1974, it said that he used arbitration to resolve a dispute um, with the Oakland A's that he failed to make a payment to, you know, Catfish Hunter for winning the Cy Young Award. And that the arbitrator said that, you know, he had not met the thing. So Hunter was free to negotiate with any team and that was that made him a free agent and later on he was two other pitchers in 1974 as well 
you know, two one was against the Dodgers and one was against the Orioles, that they ushered in pretty much the same thing. He filed a grievance for arbitration against both players, and the arbitrator said, hey, they fulfilled their contract negotiations to you. Now they're free for anybody. Um, so if those hadn't happened, who knows what free agency would even look like today. If Marvin Miller wasn't a guy who, you know, pushed players to go against teams and, you know, put their value out there. Yeah, no, no doubt. So, um, pretty cool stuff there. Interesting. I didn't know too much about Marvin Miller um, until tonight. So, um, definitely somebody I should know about. Um, and, and I'm glad that to have learned about him and, uh, you know, all these other guys, these players, um, huge congrats to them. Being in the Hall of Fame in baseball is just such a huge accomplishment. Uh, it's such a select group compared to other sports, which seemingly every, you know, star player ever gets in. Uh, baseball's different. It's very difficult to make the Hall of Fame. You have tons of, you know, players who have at times in their career been the best player in the sport who aren't in the Hall of Fame. So it's very... Um, you know, it's very, very, very um, rewarding to be in that Hall of Fame. And, you know, these players should feel great about their accomplishments. And, uh, you know, it's just a really cool thing. So, yeah, very much so. Um, as much flack as we give Hall of Fame voting, um, you know, throughout the years and stuff, and you'll probably hear more of our rants on that eventually. But, uh, you know, it, it is a select, select few that get in there. And, uh, when you do it's definitely an accomplishment and, and something to be praised about so but let's move on um, we'll look back at the games that we kind of had highlighted this past week as big series to look out for um, let's start with the brewers and giants which was for four games and milwaukee ended up taking three of the four um, i believe that was in san francisco uh, you had the braves and the dodgers for three in los angeles the dodgers took th all three of those uh, the red sox and rays played four games they split that series 2-2 uh, then we had the Dodgers and Giants this weekend in San Francisco where San Francisco won two of those three and then the Padres and Astros for three um, where San Diego took two out of three yeah so uh, interesting stuff this past week um, lots of good games the Braves Dodgers series I think the all three games were decided by fewer than two runs or, or, or two runs or fewer I mean by, by meaning that but um those were all interesting games. Um, you, you look at, uh, you know, the Brewers and Giants, um, two of the best teams. I think the two best records outside of the Dodgers in the National League there. And, you know, very interesting stuff. Um, both those teams, you know, right there in the, in the thick of things. Uh, the Brewers winning three of four really helped the Dodgers catch up, made that weekend series even more important with the Giants, in which the Giants took – two out of three and a very entertaining series. That was really the series of the week. Um, you know, as, as you had, uh, you know, both Friday and Sunday's games were very good. Sunday's game featured on Sunday night baseball, um, Saturday that the Dodgers won by several runs, but, um, you know, the giants continue to find a way to win close games. And, you know, they took the, by winning the, that series, they took a one game lead, um, into the start of this week. So, uh, in which they play the Rockies and then, You've also look at the, uh, you know, the Rays and the the Rays and the Red Sox, and uh, you know they split that series. I'm a little surprised the Red Sox were able to win two against the Rays at the current state of their team. Uh, lots of COVID issues there, and uh, you know that's not a good thing. But um, you know they're hanging in there, and it's extremely important for them to 
win a couple games against one of the best teams in the league. So um, that was, you know, very, very important because they're just barely hanging on to that wild card spot right now. Yeah, and like you said, they're barely holding on, and the Rays are, you know, tied for the best record in baseball pretty much. They're right there with the Giants and Dodgers. Um, I believe the only reason the Giants are ahead of them is because they have one less loss, as of right now at least. Um, so it is interesting to see them split. And then, you know, just to kind of foreshadow a little bit, they're playing another series um, right now, actually, for three. I believe today was the second game of the three. Um, we'll talk a little bit more about that in a little bit, though. But the Red Sox with massive issues. I mean, Nick Pavetta, I think I think he just tested positive today. Um, but I believe I read that they've had 11 players put on the COVID list this past week. Um, and that's including, yeah. you know, some half of their starting rotation. You got one of your star players in Xander Bogarts, Kike Hernandez, who had been a, you know, he's been very really good, good this year. Yeah, a really good contributor for them. He was on the uh, COVID list. I believe there was one other name that I keep forgetting who was a bigger name that got put on it as well. Um, you know, but for them to still be holding on to that wild card spot, split two games with the Rays, that's massive. Uh, I believe they've actually split two of the three for sure. To start with, I could be wrong on that, um, but that was massive. The Giants and Dodgers, massive series in San Francisco, like you were talking about. It was really surprising on Sunday how the Giants absolutely just obliterated Walker Bueller. Like Bueller has been so good this year, and then the Giants got him for six runs in three innings, and Bueller just did not look like himself at all. Um, don't know quite what that was, but it's so weird for him being such a big game pitcher and, and a game like that to, to really come out flat, um, you know, but to only keep it a one game gap and go back to battling, you know, hoping other teams help you do that. It's going to be interesting to watch that throughout the year or throughout the rest of the season. Big time for the Padres against the Astros this week. And that was a series that could have really taken the Padres season for even more of a turmoil with them battling so close to the Reds for the wild card spot. Um, and for them to beat Houston two out of three was a, a massive, massive help to their uh, their playoff hopes. You know, right now they're half game uh, in front of Cincinnati for that wild card spot. So that, that was a massive series for San Diego. No doubt. And, uh, you know, that Jake Cronenworth walk-off home run on Sunday could definitely be a turning point for them. Uh, they're playing the Angels right now. So we'll see what ends up happening with that this week. But, uh Definitely some good series last week. I, I was very entertained by by all of them. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, you talk about Braves-Dodgers. I thought that was serious, even though it was a sweep. All three games were really entertaining and came down to the wire. And uh, that was uh, – I watched all three of those games. It was it was very interesting. And uh, But we'll see what happens. Uh, you know, definitely good stuff. I think the races really have tightened up over the last couple of weeks. You know, you had the the Dodgers finally fully caught the Giants in the in the West. Um, that the NL East is down to two and a half games. Uh, it was one and a half before tonight. Um, and then you look at the wild card races. Cincinnati is only a half game behind San Diego, and then the, in the American League, um, Toronto's really come up. So uh, to go along with Seattle and Oakland are all within three games of, of Boston who obviously, like we've talked about, is dealing with those COVID issues. You never know what might happen there. So um, lots of interesting stuff going on uh, right now, and, and these races are just tightening right up. 
Yeah, they are. And to hint on or to go, you know, move on to what you're talking about right there, the Blue Jays and Yankees, they're in a massive series right now. Um for two for four games this week. And so far the Blue Jays have won both of those. You said they're on a run. They've won six games in a row. They got this massive series with the Blue Jays or with the Yankees. And then they play the Orioles this weekend for four as well. Um, so that's going to be a big week for the Blue Jays because if they can come out of New York with three of the four and then maybe go to Baltimore and hopefully take three of the four there, that sets them up for, you know, they play Tampa twice and the Yankees again. So they can really set themselves up for a, a run here at the end to, to work themselves into wild card spot. Um, the Rays and the, the Red Sox, like I talked about, they were playing for three. The Rays have actually taken both of the games so yeah. far. Red Sox um, blew a six to nothing lead yesterday and lost eleven to ten in extra innings against yeah, the Rays. That's why I had saw they had le- oh. took in the lead and yeah. I hadn't seen that they blew that. Yeah. Um, you got the Phillies and Brewers who are battling for three. The Phillies won big time yesterday, and the Brewers, last time I checked, were leading big time today. Eleven to nothing. I think it was the, that was the final. Was eleven to nothing. Twelve. Twelve to nothing. Oh, yesterday, that was yesterday. Was, yesterday was twelve to nothing. Today the Brewers won, I believe, eleven to nothing. So double check here 10 to nothing. nothing 10 to nothing today so uh, a couple of blowouts in that one that was actually Aaron Nola pitching today for Philly and he got um, he didn't quite get lit up but the bullpen came in after he gave up three and got lit up so typical Philly bullpen getting lit up but uh, that <laughs> yeah. was uh, definitely a definitely a, a big time uh, big time win for for Milwaukee today and um, that's a really interesting series for the you know, for the Phillies, because the Braves have their another easy stretch for the next nine, or now the next seven. They, or sorry, now the next eight. They have the the Nationals, the Marlins on this weekend, and then next week they start off with Colorado for three at home. So they just got done playing Colorado and Coors, and of course, as we've talked about before, Colorado has like record home road splits. They're one of the best teams in baseball at home. One of the worst, probably the worst team in baseball on the road. Unless they're so, playing the damn San Francisco Giants and they suck. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but um, but yeah, very important for the Phillies to try to keep pace. You know, playing the Brewers for the next uh, for well tomorrow. Um, but they've split that series so far one to one. You talked about the the uh, Yankees and the Blue Jays. Of course, the Blue Jays have taken the first two of that four game series. But um, today, even bigger news, the Yankees lost Garrett Cole to a hamstring injury. Um, he was pulled out of the game in the fifth inning, I believe, um, You know, with a, or the fourth inning. Two outs in the fourth inning, he was pulled with that hamstring issue. So uh, that's very unfortunate. Hopefully, you know, they, it sounded like it was somewhat precautionary. He didn't pitch all that well tonight. He, he had, you know, given up a couple runs in those three and two-thirds innings. Um, two walks, two strikeouts, not not his best outing. Um, so, you know, hopefully that's a little bit precautionary and they caught it before it got worse. So that obviously a hamstring injury is something that can get aggravated and, and made worse. But, uh, you know, the, the Blue Jays have, you know, a pretty good opportunity these next two days as the Yankees are putting a couple of young guys on the mound. Uh, and, uh, you know, the Blue Jays are going to have, uh, you know, Burrios throwing for one of those two games. So, uh, good opportunity for the, to the for the Blue Jays to maybe pick up another game against the Yankees, and you know with the Red Sox having played the eight Rays and having their COVID struggles, you could see the Blue Jays. They're only two games back now. You could see them catch up this weekend. Yeah, you very well could. Um, 
and yeah, it is Barrios and then Manoa is going to be the other game for them. So for the Blue Jays. Yeah, so. um, but also looking forward to the weekend. Uh, we have two big series that start on Friday. That's going to be the Padres and Dodgers for three in Los Angeles. Um, you know, Dodgers trying to hold with the Giants who are going to be playing Chicago, the Cubs in Chicago. Uh, and then you're going to have the Padres, you know, trying to battle for that wild card. I don't know who the Reds are playing, but it wasn't a big series. Uh, let me double check that real quick. The Reds are playing the Cardinals. Cardinals. So in yeah, that's a, that's a fairly tough series in St. Louis. But uh, but yeah, like you say, this might be the Padres' last stand. They have got they have got to win some games against good teams because that's all they play the rest of the year mm-hmm. is good teams. And um, you know they they've got to beat the Dodgers. I think two out of three to have a chance at the wild card because. The Reds have a lot of games left against bad teams. The Phillies have a lot of games left against bad teams. And if the Phillies were to catch the Braves, the Braves have a lot of games left against bad teams too. So, you know, you've got several teams in there that are have really weak schedules, and the Padres have one of the toughest, and they're only like a game or so up right now. So a half game up right now, uh, depending on what happens today. So, you know, with their game in progress. But... Very difficult, um, you know, and the Padres have got to find a way to win a couple games in L.A. this weekend or, you know, they might be in real trouble and falling behind. As, as right now, a lot of the odds, um, you know, the odds, playoff odds, you know, projections have the Padres being out, which for, you know, for most of the season was kind of thought as a uh, <laughs> kind of thought as a hard to believe. But, um, you know, they're given, the, you know, the Reds have the highest wild card wild card chance right now um you know outside of the you know outside of the padres so yeah and then um on the weekend we're also going to have the battle of the Sox, um seeing who's going to be better the red Sox or the white Sox. um that's going to be for three and it's going to be big for boston who, who we talked about before is you know right there on the cusp of a wild card um spot so they're going to have to take at least two of three from the white Sox um this weekend yeah, and that's one of those you talk about. The, the Red Sox do still have a very good, um, you know, very good uh, per- chance to make the playoffs. Their odds are high, but uh, still very tough to, you know, it's not 100% anymore. You know, you were kind of thinking they were a shoe in for a while there and with their struggles, their players being out with COVID. Um, the Blue Jays could very well catch them. So we'll see what happens there. It'll be very interesting to see uh, if the Blue Jays can do it. Because they, they have to stay hot, but you know their strength of schedule not super high. The Red Sox have a pretty weak schedule remaining as well. But um, I mean, the Blue Jays have been the team that's been playing so well lately, and they do have to catch them though. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Absolutely. Well, those are the series to watch out for. Um, you know, that's happening now and through the weekend, uh, and we'll be sure to update you guys on those next week. But let's move over to players of the week and then wrap this show up. Um, so who do you have for your hitter of the week? So my hitter of the week is uh, going to be Frank Schwindel from the Cubs. He is the replacement for Anthony Rizzo. And he has been, well, to put it lightly, like insanely good. Um, you know, I'll talk about his stats on the, um, you know, on the season here in a minute, but he has put up a 165 WRC plus this year, you know, in 40, uh, wait, 
many games has it been? It looks like 41 games. He's put up that that, that stat line. Um, he was with Oakland um, to start the season. He was part of the trade of Andrew Chafin to the Oakland A's. And, um, you know, just that's that's some pretty dang good numbers right there for the for his season so far. Um, you know, you look at his last, uh, you know, his last week or so of play, and it's been very good as well. He's put up, I believe it was five home runs in the last week. Um, you know, put up a super high batting average, doing doing some good things. He was actually named the National League Player of the Week today. Um, you know, for by MLB.com or whoever. Um, just an insanely good, insanely good week for him. Um, five home runs, uh, like I said, insane batting average, 467 average, 283 WRC plus. He's put up 0.8 WAR this week alone. Um, so Frank Schwindel has been. You know, as good as you could have hoped for for a guy who's not necessarily a high-rated prospect, um, and, and like I say, on the season, 1.5 WAR in just 41 games, so that's pretty impressive. And uh, you know, we'll see if he's able to continue that. Uh, honestly, his stat lines and stuff—he looks pretty. You know, it's it's not completely unattainable, unsustainable. The 365 BABIP, so. Um, definitely a guy to look out for he's been he's been solid yeah he's i'm gonna get a lot of flag but he's been better than anthony grizzo so far so i mean this season at least no it, it is it's gonna be exciting to see if you know maybe they found a piece like that it's it's very rare that you see trades at, you know at the deadline one trade and then they usher somebody else out and they bring that person immediately in and they have an impact Usually it's, oh, hey, we'll see how this trade is like four or five years down the road. Um, so it's cool to see some of the immediate impact happen. No doubt. But my hitter this week, it's going to be a little bit weirder because he only did play four games, but that's Yasmani Grandal. Um, even in those four games, he had 10 at-bats, but he hit two homers. Um, he had six hits, five runs, five RBIs, five walks. Um, and that, you know, the 10 at-bats doesn't include his walks, but... And zero strikeouts, which is Grandal's usually somebody that strikes out quite a bit, but it's been insane how much he's walked this year. Like I know we talked around about him around the uh, the All Star game, how he had like a one fifty nine batting average or something like that, but was you know almost close to a four hundred on base percentage. Um, you know he just came off the IL not that long ago, and he's pretty much picked up where he you know left off right there, and is having a, a kind of a a weird great season if that i don't know if you could say that yeah it's tough to call what his season a great season well but a weird good season yeah I, I mean he's been good like anytime you know as a catcher he's had a very good defensive season as he usually does so you know as a catcher you you know if you're an elite defensive catcher like he is great pitch framer you know you live with a, a mediocre bat but it's hard to call his bat mediocre this year, but because yeah. he, he's got a low batting average, but he's hit for power, um, and he's uh, you know he's he's walked so much. I mean he he's a guy who you know he, he's a guy who always runs a low batting average on balls in play, hits the ball in the air a lot. When he does hit it on the ground, he's slow, but he has a career low uh, batting average on balls in play. But hey, his average is up to two twenty seven on the year now, 
and we had talked about it being so low. He has a 160 WRC plus on the season. So, um, I mean, 24% walk rate. His strikeout rate's way down from last year. Um, you know, his biggest problems just been the lack of games, being on that IL for so long. But, um, you know, Yasmani Grandal is one of the better catchers in baseball, and uh, it really completes the, the White Sox lineup because that lineup is nasty, and he, he makes it nastier. So uh, today he's one for one with two walks. So <laughs> just continuing it this week, I guess. So, And they've really needed him because they've lost a lot of people. Like Tim Anderson went on the IL. Um, I believe, I know we talked about Lance Lynn. I believe Gigi Lito also went on the IL um, this past week. So they've they've lost three of their big contributors so far. So they needed you know somebody to come back and, and provide them a little bit of offensive power and to help make for the loss of Tim Anderson, but to also help because – you know, their pitchers might not be shutting teams down like they were before. So, But yep, anyways, who do you have for your pitcher of the week? So my pitcher of the week this week is going to be uh, Adrian Hauser from the uh, from the Milwaukee Brewers. He had a one-start week, uh, which typically I try to pick guys with two-start weeks, but there really weren't all that many real successful two-start weeks this week. Um, but he put up a complete game shutout, so I went ahead and picked him. Seven strikeouts, uh, no walks. Um, he obviously, you know, no, no runs allowed with the, being a shutout. Um, just a, you know, very good start this week. Um, I forgot who that start was against. I believe it might have been against the Giants, which makes it even more impressive. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, fantastic job. Um, I mean, he's been... You know, he, he had a great week, and, you know, all the Brewers need is another great starting pitcher. So, um, That's you know, always against the Cardinals, by the way. It's Cardinals, okay. Um, so, uh, not against the not against the Giants, but still, Cardinals have an impressive team with, with Goldschmidt and Arenado and some of the other guys that got DeYoung, and uh, Tyler O'Neill's had a good year. So, um, you know, still a good, good tough team to pitch to, but... Um, but yeah, uh, very impressive. Um, I mean, we'll see if he can continue it. A guy who, on the season, um, has been you know kind of underrated. Uh, has a 3.41 ERA. His peripherals don't really back that up completely. Uh, 4.32 FIP, 4.25 XFIP. But you know, a low four ERA type of guy. Even though his ERA has been a little bit better than that this year. So uh, you know, but but that's solid. I mean, he's been a solid pitcher. Uh, you know, a good guy to have as a number, you know, number four, number five pitcher. Uh, huge ground ball rate, fifty nine percent ground ball rate on the season. Very impressive there, um, and it can make up for his lack of strikeouts and his lack of uh, control at times. A lot of walks this year, so, but uh, definitely a guy who had a good, you know, good outing this week. Yeah, and definitely that ground ball rate in Milwaukee is a massive thing, as it's such a hitter's ballpark. Um, so that's a big, big thing. If, if, and if he can be, you know, half of that, and like you said, if he can be a four ERA guy, that's just insane to go along with what they have at, you know, those top three with Peralta Burns and Woodruff, um, would make it really hard, really hard to face in the playoffs for sure. But, uh, my, my pitcher this week, I went with a little bit of a Homer pick, but I, I think if I wouldn't have picked him, you would have. Um, so, and that's Max Scherzer. Uh, was absolutely insane this week. He had a 
a good game against the Braves going who where he actually got pulled in six innings because um, he had a tight hamstring with like 76 pitches, was shutting him out. Um, I believe he had eight Ks in that time. Am I wrong? I don't remember. I, it was seven or eight Ks or he something was, like he that. He was definitely pitching a gem of a game. Yeah, and it was really odd that he got pulled. Uh, I think they actually like lost the lead they had, and then the Dodgers they, came they back. Did. He had, I think he had got pulled for some tight hamstring. Yeah, he had a tight, tight hamstring. Yeah. Yeah, he had a little nagging like he's had a little bit of a tight. Yeah. He he said he felt it tighten up during uh, yeah. during warmups and whatever. Um, and then if there was any worry about a tight hamstring at all. Then all he did was come out yesterday against the Cardinals and fire eight scoreless innings with 13 strikeouts. Um, so if there was any worries about that tight hamstring, I think those can just go out the window. Um, so pretty much on the week that his stats are a 14 innings pitch, nine hits allowed, zero runs, zero walks with 22 strikeouts. So uh, I would definitely say Max Scherzer was worth it this week. Yeah, he put up a full win above replacement this week which is pretty difficult for a pitcher to do and two starts yeah a 14.14 k per nine with no walks no homers no runs that's a uh, it's absolutely insane thank you washington by the way yeah he's also put himself pretty squarely in the cy young conversation yeah um i don't know if i would give it to him today but if he keeps this um, up, if I he, mean, yeah, if he could do it a little bit more, I mean, he, his, his issue just, you know, he's had a little bit too many home run balls, but I mean, you look at his after, after Walker Bueller's latest start, he leads the national league in ERA. So, yeah. Um, I mean, there, uh, and I, there's a solid four. Yeah. I mean, you can make, yeah. you can make a case for Scherzer, Bueller, Wheeler, or Burns. Like, yeah, you can make a case for any of those. And, you know, we still do have like probably what four more starts maybe for everybody, maybe three. Um, just depends on how they line it all up. So it's going to be interesting to hear that Cy Young race for sure. Yeah, no doubt, and, and I think it's going to be very close at the end. It's going to be an interesting Cy Young race mainly because there's so many like there's four or five contenders who are all really different. You have you know Corbin Burns has pitched fewer innings because of a nagging injury once, and then a. Uh, covid shutdown once um but he's also got the highest wins above replacement out of everybody and uh you know he's already broken a record this year with strikeouts without a walk and um he's been insanely good but you've got sack wheeler who's been kind of your typical durable ace on the mound and then you've got scherzer who and and who's been your resurgent you know veteran who has led two teams but, but really has been the key for the for the uh, Nationals down, I mean for the uh, Dodgers down the stretch, with a a um, although his peripherals don't quite match up with his ERA at this stage, um, then you got Walker Bueller who's kind of similar to Scherzer honestly, um, but I mean you can't you also can't completely forget about Woodruff and Gossman, so uh, both those guys have been really really good and uh, aren't too far off of the Scherzer or Bueller. I, th- I do think I would probably vote for Corbin Burns right now if I had to pick. Um, you know, Zach Wheeler's had some blowups in games that were really important to the Phillies. So, um, but I would, so I'd probably go with Corbin Burns. But it's it's really tough to choose at this stage who out, you know, who to pick for Cy Young. So these next, at least, good thing we have a couple weeks to kind of determine who it should be. Yeah, there's going to be some much needed weeks to. I, I couldn't even tell you who I'd vote for right now. It'd be too dang close. But uh, anyways. 
you got anything else you want to wrap up on the show? Uh, I don't think so. Uh, just a few weeks left here in the season. Um, I believe I saw where there's maybe five series left for each team. So about, about 15 games, 20 games, something like that. Um, so, uh, you know, we don't have too much longer left. And I think we'll probably start to get teams clinching fairly soon. I don't know exactly when, uh, what the what the deal is that, you know, Milwaukee's got an 11 game lead. Uh, Cleveland or uh, Chicago White Sox have a 10 and a half game lead. Uh, Tampa Bay's got a nine and a half game lead. So uh, I don't know what these magic numbers are at this stage, but you know, it definitely could be, I think it's somewhat soon. You could start to maybe see some teams clinch uh, maybe in a week or so. I, I'm not a hundred percent sure what that number is, but, uh, but anyways, very interesting. Um, you know, I think, um, I think it's, you know, it's going to come right down to the wire for a lot of these, a lot of these divisions and, um, you know, we'll see what happens. It's going to be very interesting, especially in the NL West, the NL East and, uh, you know, the AL and NL wild cards are all the, the really big time interesting divisions right now. So interesting to see what happens. Yeah. It's going to be really interesting to see, um, how the, the, you know, these last three or four weeks unfold for sure. But thank you guys um, for listening to us blabble for another hour um, of your lives. So we'll, uh, we'll make sure to keep you guys apprised of what happens with these big series. Um, and I'll, I'll try and see if I could find some of the magic numbers and let you guys know um, next week for sure. But uh, thank you guys for tuning in this episode of the Batflip Podcast, and we'll catch you guys next week. Thanks, everybody.